Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What they discovered upon their arrival was almost unspeakable. We The dead won't bother you. It's the living you gotta worry about. Something if I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Hello. Hello! Welcome. This is the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. I'm Janelle. I'm Vicky. Were you surprised? That was gonna be low and then I got high. Oh my god, people are gonna have to turn on the radios and Yeah. Headphones, just don't blow blast it out that eardrum. <laughs> Make it feel so good. Pop that eardrum. Oh my God. Sorry. <laughs> if this is your first time listening, a special hello to you. Mm-hmm. We got a great show for you. We sure do. Uh, but first, let's head over to the newsroom. This week, our news comes from Quincy, Illinois. Ill. Where the butthole of Illinois. <laughs> there is a story that is like one of these stories that will f- forever be brought up. There'll be a documentary about it like 10 years from now. Because a uh, family feud contestant, uh, Tim Blythnick. Sure. Um, was on Family Feud. He, when Steve Harvey, when he was on Family Feud, Steve Harvey mm-hmm. said, what's the biggest mistake you made at your wedding? Um, <laughs> and he said, honey, I love you, but I said I do. Not my mistake. I love my wife. You know, making jokes about. Mm-hmm. Turns out he may have actually killed his wife. Well. <laughs> yeah. So the case just as we record this just recently started. So this would be in May 2023. The the court case has actually started. Um, but the authorities are saying that his phone had searches for how to open my door with a crowbar. Can I force open my door with a crowbar if I lock myself out? How to make a homemade pistol silencer. Okay, the crowbars um, weren't so bad. Because you're like, yeah, how could I j- jimmy this lock open? Yeah. But the silencer part. <laughs> yeah um so obviously he disputes these allegations the defense is saying this is pretty much a reasonable doubt case oh, yeah. for sure mm-hmm. 
yeah. Uh, so essentially his wife was uh, shot 14 times after somebody used a crowbar to enter the home where she was living. It's worth noting that the couple was in the middle of a divorce. Um, so it's just, but because of this family feud thing, I feel like this is a story that writes itself, right? Like this is oh, yeah. one of these things. He admitted like, to guilt on family feud. Right. I can't believe yeah. I said I do to you. <laughs> yeah. So something to keep an eye on that's happening in Quincy right now, but, um, just a very weird story. Moving right along to Netflix and Kill, we are going to be combining two things because I think it's only fair that we talk about these two things in tandem. But this week, our streaming is all Hillsong all the time. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yes. So there are two documentaries that have recently, within the last year, been released. The first is Hillsong Omega Church was released on Discovery Plus, now available on Max. And The Secrets of Hillsong, which is a Hulu documentary that is in the process of being released. It's not completely finished um, as of recording this. I'm sure by the time this comes out, it will be. But I think they have three or four episodes out right now. Um, but I kind of wanted to talk about these things in tandem because they obviously are about the same yeah. topic. They talk about a lot of the same things. Um, for those unfamiliar, Hillsong is a mega church that originated uh, in Australia, sort of coming from New Zealand into Australia and then finally into the U.S., Uh, Most people would probably be familiar with Carl Lentz, a.k.a. the pastor to Justin Bieber, Mm -hmm. was kind of his big claim to fame. You know, not even talking about the um, obvious issues with a mega church, i.e. money. Watch watch Righteous Gemstones and you'll know. (laughs) I love that show. I love that show. But But that's so true. Such a great job of mocking every aspect of it. Yeah. You know, (laughs) you have typically in mega churches, you have these uh, pastors and church officials who are living very lavish lifestyles. um, You know, basically living off the funds made from the church. Mm -hmm. It's all about money, 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 even though they would say it's all about spreading the gospel. This story is a very interesting one for a lot of reasons. You know, Carl Lentz pretty much became the face of Hillsong Church in the U.S. when they opened their first location in New York. And he had this very uh, spectacular downfall when he had to admit that he was having an affair, stepped down as the leader of the church. And then, of course, the church Hillsong suffered ties with him. Then, you know, it has kind of come out that there were many abuses, uh, alleged abuses happening hmm. within Hillsong, i.e. volunteers being overworked, underpaid, the standards being very stringent, especially when it comes to women and relationships. Mm-hmm. There is also a history of child sex abuse within (laughs) the founder's family, um, whose name I forget at the time, but um, something Australian. Yeah, something, something, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Houston, uh, Brian Houston. His father was the first to kind of start. Not Hillsong specifically, but like the church that kind of led into Hillsong. Um, and it came out that he, there were allegations that he had been fondling young boys that were kind of swept under the rug. And he very quickly kind of left amidst all of these allegations. None of this is coming out until like an inquisition that happened in the late 2010s. Mm-hmm. Um 
So there's a lot of stuff uh-huh. going on in this story. Um, obviously, like I said, these have kind of the same subject matter. It's interesting because Secrets of Hillsong actually has interviews with Carl Lentz mm. uh, himself, which I always say take with a grain of salt because like... This was after the fact, right? Yes. Okay. These are like recent interviews. Okay. Um, he has been long, like long since severed ties with Hillsong. <laughs> You know, I just always feel like when you have the narrative coming from the person who was in it, there is sort of a taint on it. There's something we love to say in art, that the narrator is the most unreliable. Correct. <laughs> Correct. But it's a really interesting look because there's a lot of the stuff that didn't start coming out until um, people started looking a little harder into the church. And even still, like, I don't think there's really been a reckoning in the U.S., Interesting set of documentaries. Have you had the opportunity to look at either of these? I haven't seen either of them. Okay. <laughs> um, I definitely would say the one that's on Max, Hillsong and Mega Church, that's one that I saw like trailers for mm. ever. And I was like, I don't have Discovery Plus. I'll never watch this. But now I can and did. Yeah. So that's why I haven't watched it. <laughs> yeah. And I will say, I, I think in the most recent episode that Hulu released on Secrets of Hillsong, they started going a bit more into the backstory of mm. the Hillsong Church, how it originated, how it was founded, this um, whole child sex abuse cover-up that they pro- likely knew, at least the board of Hillsong knew that this was happening and did mm-hmm. nothing. Um, they seem to be... The 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 one on Max seems to go into that a little bit earlier and a little bit more, a little mm-hmm. bit deeper. Um, but I am really interested to see more of this discussion with Carl Lentz because I want to have his take on what was happening. Because I'm curious. I think he I get the impression he sort of feels like he was a fall guy. Mm. And it very much was this situation of like uh because he sort of became the face of Hillsong New York, um, that he started outshining the leader mm-hmm. um outshining outshining Brian Houston which was like not necessarily the best thing so they kind of were looking for anything okay. to get rid of him but um very i mean a lot of troubling allegations a lot of troubling allegations uh but interesting also fuck mega churches yeah obviously <laughs> i know i know we all realize like i'm not super keen on religion but i'm also a very much you do you person I, mega churches are just predatory Mm-hmm. frankly so just we avoid have so that many shit. in this area yeah just think about that yeah anyway <laughs> so that's it uh this is that part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for our listeners jill what are you talking about this week Vicky, i thought i could start off this episode with a song to introduce us into what we're talking about oh my god there could be so many um this is more specific a song to the what i will specifically be covering okay um uh, but please enjoy this tune okay Oh. <laughs> I haven't heard this song in so long. Who's that whispering?
All right. We are going to go to California. That is one of those songs that I hear that. And not only do I think of, because that was the original, I'm assuming. Yes. Um, And there was a remake that came out in like the 90s. That was from 1998. Was it? Yeah. No, it sounds older than that. That was like the original. That was original? The 1998. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was older than that. Anyway, um, Weird Al did a parody of this. Mm-hmm. That is the first thing that I think of called Grapefruit Diet. Grapefruit that makes diet. light of a song that's actually about something horrible and tragic that happened in California. I said Weird Al is a treasure. I he still is love a treasure. Him. But we're going to look at crimes out of California. And if you're not familiar with the song, it's called Zoot Suit Riot. Which is a real riot. Mm. In fact, it was a race riot. It's such a fun <laughs> song. I never would have known that. Ever. Now, I was going to say, so you didn't know that that was about a race riot? No, absolutely okay. not. Now, and I heard that song I on the radio song. so many times. And uh, of course, this is back when you went to an encyclopedia. Okay. Britannica. Oh, God. Disc. Okay. And <laughs> disc. The disc. Disc. Um, and I was like, zoot suits, what are those? Because I was very into fashion. And this is when, like, Rockabilly was coming back in 1998. Oh, God. And obviously, I love me some Rockabilly. Please see Janelle as Betty Page in the early 2000s. Um- <laughs> this is all true. All true. All accurate. Um, I wanted to just read the lyrics here for a minute. So that you can see what's to come. Now, if you couldn't hear it in the recording, this is by the Cherry Pop and Daddies. Yes, Cherry Pop and Daddies is the band name. Oh, Cherry Pop and Daddies. One of the many. Again, not something I would have thought twice about when I was hearing this when I was like 12. Yeah. Uh, But that is quite the name. (laughs) Sure is. Lots of implications to be had. Oh, boy. Um, So the lyrics that we heard is who's that whispering in the trees it's two sailors and they're on leave pipes and chains and swinging hands who's your daddy yes i am fat cat came to play now you can't run fast enough you'd best stay away when the pushers come to shove so what are they talking about (laughs) it's a race riot oh my god in fact it's a world war ii race riot (laughs) really yes wow so not many people know this, but it is about the Zoot Suit Riots out of L.A. in the 1940s. Um, first of all, World War II swing music was fashion, and it was just all those beautiful, amazing things happening during the war. Mm-hmm. Zoot suits, if you're not familiar, are oversized suits, what we might consider now more of like an exaggerated rockabilly aesthetic. Um, But also think about like all the 90s swing and ska bands where they had those oversized suits. Those are zoot suits technically. Big on shoulder pads. Yes. (laughs) They were predominantly worn by Latino and black youth, mostly on the West Coast. And it was big, baggy, exaggerated fashion. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. they were described once in an article. <laughs> now, this is some hepcat jive I'm going to throw at you. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> Killadilla coats with a drape shape, reet pleats, and a shoulder padded like a lunatic cell. <laughs> okay. That was the description. That was like the hip description that you could say what a zoot suit was. Sure. <laughs> now, Cesar Chavez wrote that in, in you know, Cesar Chavez. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. He wrote that. 
a person needed a lot of guts to wear those pants. And we had to be rebellious to do it because the police and a few of the older people would harass us. So this also brings back to me the baggy pants craze of the 90s. Jinko jeans. Yes. We're specifically like the Chicana aesthetic of the 90s. It's literally the same thing, but in a different decade. Yes. Um, Yeah, very much. So... They were doing this to kind of be, like, larger than life, so literally exaggerated sizes. Chavez also wrote that he wore it so that he wouldn't be considered a quote-unquote square, which I think is just beautiful. Um, It was part of what was called Pacheco culture and jazz music of the Harlemite culture. So, again, getting back to Latino and Black youth cultures of the time period. Now, at this time also, a lot of rationing was happening, including textiles, especially expensive fabrics like cotton and nylon. These were used for servicemen's uniforms and for parachutes and everything you could think of. Yeah. So essentially, the zoot suits were kind of perceived, this fashion statement was kind of perceived wrong. It was, it rubbed people the wrong way because it might be perceived as like flagrantly opposing all of these fabric rations, right? Mm. However, most people who owned a zoot suit owned one in their lifetime. And at that, you know, they were off the rack, bought at a size or two larger than the person. So the argument about, like, all of these rationing issues and stuff is kind of mute and not accurate. Right. Because it is really... A person buying a suit for their entire lifetime. You you can you can afford one suit. Sure. So you're going to do it loud and big. Right. And you might even grow into it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so really, it was used in an ex- as an excuse, I believe, to start a problem. Mm, gotcha. <laughs> but why, oh, why, do you ask, would a oversized suit lead to a riot? Yes. Well... I have one idea. Oh, what could that be, Veggie? But my only idea is because you could hide weapons. That's the only thing I could think of. It's deeper than that. Is it? It's it's because of racism. Well, (laughs) okay. Fair. It's just straight. Straight up racism. Straight up racism. Damn, missed the mark again. It's going to be our word for today. Racism? Yeah. Just ring a little bell in your head like Pee Wee Herman when we have the word of the day. Racism! (laughs) Yeah. In Southern California specifically, governments and cities were extremely racist against Latino and especially black youth and also Asian communities. Yeah. But if you think about the history of California, that actually was part of Mexico. Mm-hmm. So you actually have tons of Mexican heritage folks living in this area who were there before the United States ever had fucking California. Right. So it's ingrained in the culture of that state. And when all these whiteies start coming out there to, like, make Hollywood and be famous and take over all of these areas, there is systemic racism ingrained in the entirety of Southern California, like worse in Southern California than most places. And so all of these southern governments and cities started outlawing straight up in the books zoot suits, staying, stating that they were connected to organized crimes and gangs. How does that even work? Exactly. Like, <laughs> do you have to, like, met, like, your suit can be no larger than... Right? How does that even... Okay. 
Uh-huh. Okay. Just like they were doing in the 1920s with flappers where they would yeah. go onto the beach and like measure their freaking swimsuits oh and their skirts and stuff. And then you get a ticket. Essentially the same thing. Yeah. But um, yeah. There's part of me that's like, <laughs> yeah, but they they did that because they thought they fucking could because they had to do with women. Like I feel no. like they would not be chasing down men in the same way to measure their <laughs> shit. Yes. Am I wrong? They don't even need to measure it. They could just say, that's too much. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't like that. So um, in 1942, the Los Angeles City Council passed a resolution outlawing zoot suits. A roundup of people wearing zoot suits in early 1943 put hundreds of people in jail because of this law. Damn. Quoted in a local newspaper, whether it is the clothing that causes the crime or the crime that causes the clothing, we are going to eliminate the boys who support this sharp apparel. My God. I just rolled my eyes very heavily. (laughs) That's silly. So another fun fact is many of the zoot suitors, as they were called, were too young to even be drafted. So these were teenagers who are wearing these things, who who don't know anything about rationing, who aren't in charge of their household. Right. It's ridiculous. And to be exacting, Mexican-Americans served in the military at a rate comparable to the percentage of their population, meaning that... There were Mexican-Americans and equal parts white people serving in the military at this time. Yeah. Yeah. So what the fuck? It's not like they were anti-American, which was the argument during this time period. And really also the argument that has lasted for a very long time. Interesting. Um, The suits themselves were typically off the rack, like I said. Mm -hmm. Reconfigured, maybe a little bit of tailoring, but generally just sized up. So some of the arguments we start to see in the newspapers and all of this just aren't true. But by 1943, tensions about zoot suits absolutely boiled over. There was a lot of contention specifically in Los Angeles, which happened to be where lots of sailors, soldiers, and Marines were stationed during World War II, major port going out to the South Pacific. There is a movie with Edward James Alamos called American Me, that is pretty great. Okay. Uh, I believe early 90s I've movie. never heard of it. Um, it starts with a zoot suit, the Zoot Suit Riot. Oh. And it is the reason in which he gets arrested and spends his life in jail. Oh, interesting. Uh-huh. And it's a pretty decent movie, and I did highly recommend it if you want to learn a little bit more <laughs> offhandedly about Zoot Suit Riots. Yeah. Um, but on May 31st, of 1943, a clash between uniformed servicemen and Mexican-American youths resulted in the beating of a U.S. Sol- uh, sailor. On June 2nd, 1943, the Los Angeles Times reported, quote, fresh in the memory of Los Angeles is last year's surge of gang violence that made the zoot suit a badge of delinquency. Public indignation seethed as warfare among organized bands of marauders prowling the streets at night brought a wave of assaults and finally murders. P.S. There weren't murders yet. <laughs> That sounds like I was like that's some very like flowery language it for is that like very lying. like yeah exaggerated so, LA newspapers at this time were actually like ex- like they people would go and like burn LA newspaper headquarters because Shit. they were like straight up lying. Oh my god. Like journalism in Los Angeles was just as crazy as the movies. <laughs> yeah. Um so like this was a big deal that there was just like these really outrageous lies happening in the in the press basically. Oh my god. On the night of June 3rd, 1943, about 11 sailors got off a bus and started walking along Main Street in downtown Los Angeles. 
There was also about 50 sailors from the local U.S. Navy um, Reserve Armory that were marching downtown as well. And both groups were carrying clubs and other kind of like crude weaponry. They came across a group of young Mexican-Americans in zoot suits. They got into a verbal argument and the sailors later told the LAPD that they actually, that they had been jumped and so that they retaliated by beating this game gang while the zoot suitors claimed that the altercation was started by the sailors. And if you look at the historical reports, the sailors were carrying weapons and these young kids were just on the street out having a good night. Oh God. Spells disaster. The LAPD responded to the incident um, (laughs) by kind of creating this squad of people to go out and make sure there weren't any zoot suitors after this because they caused this massive ruckus and they called themselves the vengeance squad so right off the bat seems like it's not what it's supposed to be stupid the officers went back to the scene and decided to quote unquote clean up main street from the loathsome influence of pachuco gangs In the days that followed this, the racially charged atmosphere in Los Angeles exploded into a number of full-scale riots. Thousands, thousands more servicemen, off-duty police officers, and civilians headed to downtown L.A. over the next several days, marching into cafes, movie theaters, and anywhere in between to beat anyone wearing zoot suits or having a hairstyle associated with such, which would be a thing like a ducktail hairstyle, if you're not familiar. Um, it's like a really long, exaggerated, um, like James Dean, but like longer at the end, to where it would come out mullet. like a little ducktail. Like a little mullet. <laughs> My grandfather had one of those. <laughs> also, what the fuck do civilians have to do with this? Why are they heading down there? I mean, I know why, but like, what the fuck? Quote unquote open season. Um, right? They're just doing justice stuff. So black, Hispanic, Mexican, and also there were groups of Filipino kids who were really into zoot suits. They were attacked, bloodied, beaten in the middle of the street. There is, if you look this up, please be warned, there are horrifying horrifying pictures of groups of white people surrounding these teenagers in their underwear or naked beaten bloody in the middle of the street so please oh god yeah be be leery when you look this up because you're gonna find photographs that are extremely triggering now by june 7th the rioting had spread outside downtown los angeles to watts east east los angeles and other neighborhoods it even went across the u.s Wow. Specifically, California had the worst of it, and it lasted the longest. Um, but there were other areas within the U.S. that also witnessed some low-key zoot suit riots. Oh, goodness Now, this gracious. is a quote from a, another newspaper. On Monday evening, June 7th, thousands of Angelinos turned out for a mass lynching. Marching through the streets of downtown Los Angeles, a mob of several thousand soldiers, sailors, and civilians proceeded to beat up every zoot suitor they could find. Streetcars were halted while Mexicans and some Filipinos and N-word were jerked out of their seats, pushed into the streets, and beaten with sadistic frenzy. Now, in response to this, there were churches 
and Latin American, Mexican American, Filipino American organizations who petitioned the state first and then the fucking president to have this come to an end. And Which I wanted insane to insane that it needs to get that far to even. But. Fucking help me, Roosevelt. Um, so I'm going to read the um, telegram that was sent from one of these Mexican American heritage groups to the president to kind of show you what was happening and the begging for help. Since last Thursday night, bands of soldiers and sailors have been roving the streets of Los Angeles attacking Mexican boys attired in so-called, quote, zoot suits. No provocation or resistance has been offered by the Mexican boys, but many of them have been beaten severely, including women and children. This is supposedly an reprisal for attacks on sailors, which local press has magnified into instances of universal disrespect for the armed forces of the part of the Mexican youth on the part of the Mexican youth without foundation, in fact. In spite of assurances of Army, Navy, and local law enforcement officials, rioting bands of servicemen armed with bludgeons are roaming the streets tonight with apparent tacit consent of law enforcement officers, and they have extended activities to include (laughs) N-word. I'm sorry, I can't say it. I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like the N-word, N-word, but it's the N-word. Other N-word, N-word. This situation, which is developing racial antagonism between Mexican, black people, Anglo-Saxon servicemen, will undoubtedly cause grave international repercussions distinctly harmful to the war effort and to our good neighbor policy. We request immediate intervention of the Office of War Information to moderate attitudes of local press, which has openly approve these riots and is threatening the news in a way that is definitely inflammatory. Now, this was hard to read because it was a typeset scanned in document from mm. the 40s, so my apologies. Yeah, I get it. Um so these Latino American Mexican American organizations petitioned Roosevelt to help stop this like malicious act, right? Yeah. And after the week-long riots, things seemed to start to die down, but the California governor called a committee together to investigate um after the president received this letter he's like what the fuck's going on here and then the governor was like oh no no we got this and then like put together a committee really quickly and in the report they straight up fucking stated that this was due to racial prejudice and witnesses could not ignore it yeah but then they did nothing okay (laughs) yeah good job guys so some of the other cities that had uh zoot suit riots were philadelphia chicago and detroit Okay. These are all also major ports of where yeah. servicemen are stationed at this time. Yeah. On June 21st, 1943, the State Un-American Activities Committee under State Senator Jack Tenney arrived in Los Angeles with orders to, quote, determine whether the present Zoot Suit riots were sponsored by Nazi agencies attempting to spread disunity between the United States and Latin American countries. So they're, now, still, let that sit. they're still trying to blame it on... The, an agent provocateur yeah yeah not on fucking not on, the on their man. racism not on yeah. their own racism mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. guys mm-hmm. now that uh agency on american committee where the fuck the title is oh is yeah dumb they did tons of this shit that was a sham there now to be fair it's because communism, right. which is not the same as fascism, but, yeah. you know, it's all the same. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely like a remnant of that yes. sort of Red Scare so, area. So um, them being era. dumb, yeah. not understanding that South America is not Mexico. 
the Philippines. They still don't know that. <laughs> Not that kind of fascism. <laughs> yep. So they're just mixing it all together in a pot saying, mm, all of it's un-American. We're the un-American committee. <laughs> so they were coming in hot saying, you know, there could be some Nazi plants encouraging Man, these servicemen I wish, to beat people in the street. I, I wish don't know. they it's... cared as much about Nazis now. <laughs> <sighs> Just a little more. Anyway, continue. But, um, did they really care about Nazis? Because they let a bunch of them into the United States yeah. after they were like, oh, JK, sorry, our Man, bad. what a complicated <laughs> issue. <laughs> True, though. The Nazis True. were here all along, Vicky. Mm. <laughs> Paul is coming from inside the house. Yes. It really was, though. Um, now, upon further investigation about this wave of riots, I came across a case from August 1943, 1943 just a few short months before the rampant zoot suit riot and this case vicky it started it all oh yeah yeah this was the murder of jose gallardo diaz aka the sleepy lagoon murders <gasps> a case within a case vicky <laughs> caseception yes on august 2nd 1943 diaz was found stabbed twice and dying in the sleepy lagoon reservoir Okay. He was taken to the hospital where he died upon entrance. Um, upon investigation, he had two stab wounds, a broken finger, and a fracture to the base of his skull. The medical examiner stated it could have been a hard fall or an auto accident. You know, except for those two holes in his body. <laughs> he hard fell into a gun that shot yeah, him right. twice. <laughs> that accidentally went off. Yeah. Um, the Los Angeles Police Department was quick to arrest 17 Mexican-American youths. We have Jack Melendez, Victor Thompson, Angel Padilla, John Matuzo, Isamel Parra, Henry Leva, Gus Zamora, Manuel Reyes, Robert Teles, Manuel Delgado, Jose Ruiz, Victor Sebagonia, and Henry Yizanostras. That sounds right. Sounds good. They were all suspects in this one person's killing. Wow. it's a lot of suspects. Without any evidence, the men were held in jail without bond. Why? Vicky, what's the word of the day? Why? Racism. Racism. Ding, 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 ding. Racism. Um, there was a rumor. Okay. They were arrested on a rumor that they were a gang and this was gang retaliation. Remember when we talked about how gang retaliation was to blame for the zoot suits? Yeah. This is how it started. Gotcha. So in the media, they were being called the 38th Street Gang, which didn't exist. Sure. <laughs> they needed the, to make it up to yeah, call it something. Course. It sounds scarier. Mm -hmm. The 17 Latino youths were indicted on the murder and charged. Oh, so they like... <laughs> Zero to ten, baby. Oh, I thought they were going to... It was going to be like one or two of them out of the group. They charged nope. all of them? They charged every single person. Oh, my God. And they were all placed on trial. Now, I wow. read all their names because this is where it's going to get confusing when we start talking about the trial. Okay. The 17 defendants were to be subject to a verdict in regarding jose diaz's death now 12 of these people said that they were not guilty some of them <laughs> abstained from making a comment okay now i think this was fully because they were afraid yeah not because that they were guilty yeah 12 people were found guilty for the murder of diaz and five were found guilty of assault wow so yeah 
Yusimel Parra was one of the 17 people who were convicted for the death of Diaz. Uh, Parra was sentenced to serve five years to life in prison and was convicted with um, the assault charges. Um, Henry Isanostra, Gus Zamora, Jack Melendez, Victor Thompson, Manuel Reyes, Angel Padilla, Robert Tellez, Manuel Delgado, and John Mutez were all receiving five to life in prison after their convictions. And Ruiz, Leveas, and Tellez were immediately sentenced to life in prison for first-degree murder. So. <laughs> wow. Everybody went that's, to jail. That's impressive. I'm not going to lie. In response to the alleged murder, the media began a campaign calling for action against Zoot suitors. Okay. On August 10th, police conducted a roundup of 600 Latino youth, and they were all charged with various offenses, like suspicious suspicion of assault, armed robbery, Armed robbery. Like, what? <laughs> Without very, any evidence. Very trumped up charges, it sounds like. 175 were eventually held for various crimes. And due to this roundup of quote-unquote zoot, zoot suitors, many families in the community began putting curfews in place to protect those that they cared about from the police presence. Now, of course, that didn't stop anything. Mm -hmm. The reason that this is connected to the Zoot Suit Riot, it's happening right before, it's happening at the same time, basically, because then all of a sudden, this second story came out that the man who was killed, Diaz, was actually in a fight earlier that night with an American serviceman. Mm. And the word on the street was that he was killed by this serviceman. And so instead of obviously taking this man who's serving in the military in because right. World War II, right. they decided to trump up these allegations of a street gang brawl between zoot suitors to, quote-unquote, clean up the gangs, but also kind of push away the fact that this kid was killed by a serviceman. Yeah. This mm. obviously was the reason that the flames of anti-Latino and anti-zoot suitor sentiments were fucking fanned. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Now, in October of 1944, so about a year or so later, the State Court of Appeals unanimously decided the evidence was not sufficient to sustain guilty verdicts for this case. Oh, good. It reversed the 12 defendants convicted of, you know, good. Murder. Yeah. <laughs> the appeals court also criticized the trial judge for his bias and his mishandling of the case. Mm, yes. Yes. This was, this was put into the People versus Zamora, which okay. is the case that you can look up. Um, there was a lack of evidence to convict the defendants to begin with. And it was Diaz's autopsy report that showed that he was highly drunk and received trauma to the head, which likely could have been the impetus for his death. But he still was shot twice. Yeah. I love, <laughs> I love anytime people just glaze over, like, I mean, we found these two bullet holes, but, like, we're pretty sure this is unrelated. Well, like, the blow to the head is what actually yeah, killed him, yeah. or the hit on the head is what But, I mean, this is him. not the first time where you have an autopsy that's just mm -hmm. like, but let's just ignore this, like, yeah. these very clear bullet holes. <laughs> so clear. Yeah. Um. Now was because really of the efforts of the Sleepy Lagoon Defense Council that this this overturn happened. They worked diligently um, to get orders from the government to reverse the initial convictions. And the council came together when the trial started and worked tirelessly until 1944 to get all of these youths freed. 
So it is believed that this case is what really set off the wave of zoot riots that overtook California and across the United States. But that is, I would say, everything that has to do with the zoot suit riots. <laughs> interesting. I had no idea mm-hmm. there was a whole story. I thought it was just like, you know. Just a fun song by the Cherry Pop and Daddy. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, as with most states, um, California has quite a bit of crime to choose from. Oh, it does. Such Uh, a big state. (laughs) Lots. Such a big state, such big crime. So, I decided to go with a classic serial killer story Mm -hmm. um, for this one. So, we're going to talk about Stephen David Catlin. Uh, Catlin was born in California, but was adopted at a very early age by Martha and Glenn Catlin. Um, the family lived in Bakersfield and although he had like a, a keen interest in cars, crime seems to be the thing that he gravitated towards pretty early on. Catlin was arrested at 19 for forgery. And at the time he was sentenced to nine months in a California youth authority camp. Uh, CYA is now known as the California division of juvenile justice. So it's basically like a juvie. It doesn't really appear like anything of interest happens in Catelyn's life until he gets married to his first wife, but the marriage was described as pretty much anything is happy, mostly abusive, um, horribly abusive. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. Something that was honestly exacerbated by Catelyn's own drug use. He had kind of like a bit of a drug problem. (laughs) Then as if one wasn't enough, uh, Catelyn decided to get married to his second wife, in 1966 without actually divorcing the first one. Yeah, obviously. The, <laughs> the On the second marriage certificate, Catelyn used a pseudonym so that he wouldn't be discovered. Mm-hmm. By The wives didn't know this either, also. The charade didn't last very long, though, because just months later, Catelyn was arrested for stealing a credit card and was sentenced to three years at a California state prison in Fresno. I'm sorry, in Chino. Following his release, Catelyn officially divorced his first wife and legally got married to his second wife using his actual real name, (laughs) just to make it official. Um, But once again, the marriage was a short one. He was divorced um, a second time. And then just after 10 months, Catelyn was married a third time. This one lasted for eight months before they got divorced. And then Catelyn married his fourth wife, Joyce. At some point, Catelyn begins working on this pit crew for Glendon Emery from Fresno, California. I feel like if you're into cars or racing stuff, like that might be a name you would know. I don't know. 
That's Maybe. Not really my I'm not, thing. I'm not that far into Glendon that. Emery. Sure. Um, <laughs> so Emery had a stepdaughter at the time that had caught Catelyn's eye. Uh, and this is all happening while he's still married to Joyce. So Catelyn began like courting this young lady. And during all of this, in April 1976, Joyce mm-hmm. developed flu-like symptoms and was admitted to the hospital on the recommendation of a physician. According to um, a later case, uh, court case, quote, before admission, she complained of back pain, vomiting, and a sore throat. She was transferred to the hospital's intensive care unit on the day after her admission. Her lungs appeared to be affected. Uh, Dr. Einstein, a lung specialist, treated her without success for possible viral or bacterial infection. He did not. She she did not respond to various antibiotic medications. Her lungs failed to oxygenate, oxygenate her body sufficiently, and she required mechanical ventilation. Nineteen days after admission to the hospital, her lungs failed entirely, and Joyce died. Following an autopsy, the cause of death was lifted was listed as pulmonary fibrosis. Uh, pathologist Dr. Bruce Swiner found that Joyce's lungs were quote extremely heavy and fibrotic, and that there was no indication of viral or bacterial infection that could have caused death. Although fibrotic, what a word! Yeah, right. <laughs> um, although it's worth noting that. Again, this is again from the court case, quote, attending physicians suspected poisoning by Paraquat, a highly toxic poison used in agriculture to control weeds. Yeah, I've never heard of that before. Paraquat. I don't know that it's used as often. I did ask for advice on how to pronounce it because um, I asked my my parents, actually, because I'm like, this seems like something they would know. Mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, it's fertilizer. So I don't know that it's necessarily around as much anymore, mm-hmm. probably because it's so fucking toxic. Yeah. But when they thought about this this poisoning by Paraquat, there wasn't, like, really any solid evidence that they could have that this was, like, the thing that was happening. I mean, it was, it was 1976. Toxicology was, like, not where it is now. And to add to this, pretty much right after Joyce died, Catelyn requested that her body be cremated. Not suspicious at all. Just a year later, Catelyn met and married his fifth wife, Kay, and the... So many fucking wives. Oh, yeah. It's too much. And the family moved to Fresno, where Catelyn found a job at a local auto body shop, eventually moving up to a managerial position. Then, in October 1980, Catelyn's father, Glenn, died from fluid in his lungs that at that time was attributed to a pre-existing cancer. Once again, Catelyn asked the body be cremated pretty quickly after his death. Catelyn's criminal past finally caught up with him a little bit when the people at the garage he was working for noticed that some parts were going missing unexpectedly, and it sort of prompted the company to do a background check on, like, all of the people that it worked for, (laughs) or that worked for them, Mm -hmm. which is when they discovered that Catelyn had a history of financial crimes, and he was forced to resign in order to avoid charges being filed. A few years later, in 1984, Catelyn's wife, Kay, fell quite ill, um, very suddenly, and it was discovered that she had fluid in her lungs. While the doctors were trying to determine the cause of the fluid, Kay died on March 14th, 1984. 
Uh, Cantlin would end up receiving approximately $57,000 in life insurance payoffs, as well as getting engaged for a sixth time after meeting a nurse. Stop. Yeah, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe that's what it is. He's just finding all these people at the hospitals that he continuously goes to. Yuck. Um, So at this point, Cantlin's third ex-wife is, like, still around and kicking. She's hearing of, like, these wives that have come after her dying sort of suspiciously and is like i get a weird feeling about all of this so <laughs> after they've already been married or this is yeah they're dating <laughs> no, no no this is his third ex-wife oh, so okay. wife four and five have both passed mm-hmm. um she's looking back on their relationship like this all seems kind of weird so she wife number three goes to local law law enforcement and is like, I think there's something up here. So they start um, digging into Joyce's death a little bit more. As previously mentioned, hospital staff had suspicions that her death had been caused by some sort of poison um, and that they – I'm like, this is one of these moments that I'm like, oh, my God, you guys were so smart to do this. Kept tissue samples from her body before it had been cremated Mm -hmm. because they were like – there's just something that we don't feel is right. So they kept these tissue yeah. samples. Um, so in 1984, those samples were sent for additional testing. It wasn't long after that that Catelyn's mother actually died pretty suddenly from an apparent stroke. Okay. After a visit from Catelyn and his then-girlfriend. Once again, Catelyn was like, let's get this wrapped up and cremate the body. Um, but the cremation that time was stalled until they had the opportunity to do an autopsy. It was then that they were able to confirm that not only Joyce, but Catelyn's fifth wife, Kay, and his mother had all been poisoned with Paraquat. Authorities then searched his garage and... A male poisoner. You never see it. I know. (laughs) Who would have thunk? Um... They searched his garage and then find this bottle of Paraquat that has his fingerprints on it, which I'm like, I Girl. mean, that's not like the most solid evidence, right? Yeah. But like, I guess in the 80s, that's like, that's what you needed in the 80s to yeah. be like, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, so in December 1985, Catelyn was charged with the murders of Joyce K. and his mother, Martha. Catelyn's series of trials began in 1986 when he stood trial for Kay's murder in Monterey County. At the trial, the evidence from the toxicology testing on the tissue samples, as well as evidence that an argument had happened between Kay and Catelyn, happened in public just days before her death. Timely. There was also, according to a later appeal, quote, evidence that defendant had considered their marriage to be one of convenience, that he had been unfaithful, and that Kay had become jealous, end quote. Callum received a substantial life insurance payout from her death, and uh, some witnesses noted that he was, like, in unusually high spirits after the funeral, like, immediately after the funeral like he was sad leading up to the funeral and Mm -hmm. then after the funeral he was like let's go for beer party (laughs) new wife Um, let's do it (laughs) yeah about a month after the start of trial um catlin was convicted of Kay's murder and sentenced to life in prison without parole what did the sixth wife have to say about this uh they got divorced like not long after he went into prison (laughs) okay because i'm like like, 
She's like, I'm next. Yeah. Or he, or he was, maybe it wasn't that they got divorced. I think he was engaged to be married when he went into prison. Yeah. I think that's what it was. I don't love you that much. (laughs) Yeah. Right. This is not what I signed up for. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Also that I'm like thinking jailhouse marriage, but like (laughs) the murder thing is kind of a big deal. Kill her. (laughs) Can't stop. Won't stop. be the motto of the show. <laughs> Catlin then went to Kern County where he faced his trial for the murders of Joyce and Martha. They were tried together. There too, prosecutors presented evidence from pathologists and doctors and toxicologists about the poisoning of both women. Um, the later appeal opinion does specify the prosecution did not provide evidence as to how it was administered to Joyce, but did say Joyce and defendant attended a party where she... <gasps> Sorry. <laughs> I just had this like, can I make you a special martini? <laughs> a oh my god, qua- that was <laughs> a pear quartini. <laughs> a pear quartini. A pear quartini for you. <sighs> I mean just a regular martini. <laughs> oh my god. Sorry. Um, no, that was really funny. You were, you were saying how it was administered. I'm like, he probably like made her a cocktail that was uh... like so strong that you couldn't taste. Yeah. taste it sorry uh, and then you started saying party and i'm like oh my god he made a martini with perquat in it sorry no <laughs> i tell okay. stories in my own brain <laughs> honestly when you have a reaction like that i'm like did something happen did something fall from the ceiling per and like quartini. land on you no so joyce and defendant attended a party where she showed signs of intoxication and that shortly thereafter she developed severe gastric symptoms including violent vomiting oh my god it wasn't a mixed drink it wasn't a mixed drink <laughs> classic i'd say probably yeah (laughs) in martha's case uh callan had made statements that he was worried about his mother altering her will um (laughs) of course that there was also evidence um that martha was disapproving of the way callan's love life had kind of played out that he just like kept getting married to these women and then married divorce married divorce married death married death like not great um death marry kill yeah (laughs) In both cases, uh, Catlin benefited substantially from their deaths, receiving life insurance payouts. Um, and obviously, like, he, Martha had died before any changes were made to the will. He was, like, really worried about her giving all of his her money to charity and not to him. And so in June 1990, the jury found Catlin guilty of both murders. The jury in these cases was unaware of the conviction in the previous case mm-hmm. until after they had rendered a verdict. So they basically, okay. well, and this is important because they basically went through the trial in the trial. Um, they discussed aspects of Kay's murder as an uncharged crime, I believe. And it wasn't until after the verdict had been rendered that they were finally told he had been tried for this other murder. Um, in Monterey County and had been found guilty and then it moved to the sentencing. So like they knew after the verdict before the sentencing. Okay. Okay. So for Martha and Joyce's murders, Catlin received the death penalty, which is what kind of what prosecutors were hoping for. Um, There was an automatic appeal filed because with death penalty cases, a lot of times there's just an automatic appeal process. Uh, Catlin claimed that there were a few issues in this case. First, that the this one I thought was interesting, the delay in prosecution due to the amount of time that had passed between Joyce's murder and his actual charging, which was nine years. 
But also there's no statute of limitations on murder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like. You don't say. <laughs> yeah. He's basically like, y'all decide you deprived me of my right to a speedy trial by not charging me for nine years. <laughs> like what an argument. Mm-hmm. He also claimed that the court erred when it dis, uh, denied his motion to sever the two cases um, because Joyce's murder and Martha's murder were tried in the same trial. Mm-hmm. There were some other claims made. Uh, it was nothing like too substantial, just kind of your standard issues that most people bring up. On the appeal, the lower court's death penalty conviction was affirmed. And currently, Stephen David Catlin is sitting on death row in San Quentin State Prison. Ooh. And that's that. That was a story that you told. This one, this one was like <laughs> a nice little wrapped up in a bow. Yeah. Everyone's held accountable. Poisoner got caught. Poisoner got caught. Male poisoner. Don't take perquatinis from anyone. Perquatinis. <laughs> All right. Well, that has um, been a show. That's been a show. Before you decide <laughs> to showed you. <laughs> before you decide to fly to California, maybe check out this podcast. Hi, I'm Ellen, and I'm scared we exist in the Matrix. I'm Jaslyn, and I'm bad at ad living. <laughs> and you're listening to High, High Expectations. Expectations, the promo. For our international listeners, you can appreciate our cute New Zealand accents. For our local listeners, you might bump into us in the street three times in the same hour. Our podcast is about pop culture, sexuality, relationships, interesting hobbies, banter and ragging on each other. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Pocket Casts, Podcast Addict, or anywhere you might like to find podcasts. Yay! Please subscribe. Goodbye! You like your poison shaken or stirred? Oh my god. This will never not be a joke. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. We don't really have any updates, I don't think. Nothing is ever going to be updated. <laughs> no, not for a while at least, but as soon as we know something, mm-hmm. we'll let Watch you know. the socials. Yeah. Um, if you liked this episode, you can find more like this at Bad Taste Crime. No, badtastepodcast.com. Bad Taste Crime Cast of Pods. Yes. (laughs) Badtastepodcast.com, where you can find this in all of our episodes, as well as links to our merch store and our Patreon, if you wish to support financially, which we haven't talked about in a while. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have any closing thoughts? No. Okay. (laughs) Our sound and and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, The Enigma. This has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We will see you in two weeks. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. It was as if a wave of evil washed over this town. We are all evil in some form or another.